I need you to pull out your bulletin before we begin. Uh, I need you to pull out this card, all right? That's, if you don't have a bulletin, raise your hands. We've got one for you. But I need you to get a hold of this card that's in it from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. So it's something we're going to ask you to take home and put on your refrigerator, uh, bring to the workplace. So keep your hands up there on the balcony. That handsome guy, Teddy, up there. Can't miss him. There he is. Keep that hand up. <clears throat> or if you need a Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 <clears throat> uh, today. So I want you to look at this card with me for a minute as we begin. and We're going to see this. It's Isaiah chapter 7 verse 4 as uh, the Lord speaks and it says, you know, be careful, keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. So the Lord's always coming to us. It's always, you know, Jesus came at Advent. You know, God came in the person of Jesus and died for our sins, rose from the dead. Uh, and he's always coming, even now, to us, you know, asking to enter into our lives and our fears. So I'm going to ask you, just take a moment, we're going to pray and uh, as we hold this text before us, and let's just be still for a moment as we approach Scripture, that the living Word of God will be living in our hearts today, and find great soil, good soil that will multiply inside of us and explode in us and uh, transform lives for the world. So, Lord, breathe on uh, your word now as we open it together, and may it explode in our hearts. May we each meet you today and offer then you to the world this Christmas as a gift. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right. So, our title is Life in the Center with God. Life in the center with God. But let me, let me give an example to start with what it looks like not to be in the center with God. Uh, in the 1990s, there was a, <clears throat> there was a uh, uh, heart-wrenching photos of starving children in the region south of the Sahara called the, the Sahel. It kind of stretches across all of Africa and uh, near the equator. And in the 1990s, there was a, uh, there was a famine. And so they show these pictures of children who were, you know, starving. And so the world sent a, all this money out of that part of the world. And the United States Agency for International Development, uh, you know, rushed in with all this cash and, and began to move. And they drilled deep wells for the cattle, thinking, okay, if cattle can get drinking water that they need, uh, it'll really help with the poverty and the famine, et cetera. It'll protect them. Uh, but when they, when they went in there, they did it very fast uh, with, a, with a sense of, like, panic. Like, we've got to do something, like, now. Problem was that after they dug these wells out, uh, the cattle actually began to, to multiply and uh, quite a bit, and an uh, enormous number of cattle. But then what happened was they began to graze all over the land. The land couldn't support all these cattle. And actually, by the time it was all done, the famine and poverty was worse than when they entered in. Now, what's instructive about the story is uh, because they weren't calm and centered as they went in, uh, 
they didn't listen to the people. They didn't, they didn't study the, 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 the land, the, the history, uh, and how things, kind of the ecosystem worked there. Uh, and so as a result, they did a quick solution without actually stepping back, pondering, calmly, listen, wait, and then have a long-term solution. Uh, out of fear, they were in a terrible hurry. Now, it, where's it? It's such an important story for me, and I always think of it myself when I'm in a hurry. And I think of, ah, the Sahel in the 1990s. Because I've made many decisions in my life in a rush, out of fear, that in the short term did a nice fix, but made it worse later on. And so I never forgot this story. Uh, because when we're afraid and anxious and panicking, we do make bad decisions. And we hurt the people around us, and we actually hurt ourselves as well. Our, our souls shrink. So this, this text we're going to look at in a few moments, and our title of Life in the Center with God, it's very challenging to live out when the environment that we all find ourselves in, especially at Advent, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, is just filled with fear and panic. I mean, once Thanksgiving hits and it's Black Friday, I mean, you feel it, right? I mean, I'd say New York just like, they put it on triple speed. And, uh, you know, I was at Penn Station, I think it was like two in the afternoon recently, and I, I got down the escalator, and I, I couldn't move. I, like, I, I was like, it was like there was a Yankee game, or it was like, I said, this is unbelievable, it's two, what, two in the afternoon, like, what are all you people doing here? Like, I'm like, what, what's happening? But, you know, you, you, the anxiety levels just, just way up, and so, and then you read the newspapers, and, you know, you know, there's a possibility of a war with Korea, North Korea, and a million people are dying a day. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got friends in Seoul, and oh, I'm worried about them. And, and you know, newspapers, you know, gun problems, gun nuts, and, and I'm thinking, guns are in New York, more guns. And I'm, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the whole atmosphere has got this kind of a frenzy, like you're missing out, and it's Christmas, and, uh, you know, Mideast, and things are getting worse, and now they're scattered around, and then politics, oh no, they talk about politics, and, and, um, and then we got our own stuff, right, our own careers, and our own families, our money issues we've got, our health problems, and, uh, you know, our parents, our children, you're getting older, you know, and graduating, and school papers, and exams, and, and, and you know, so much to do, and so little time, and you've got some setbacks, and your own worries of just life, and and, uh, you know, moving or transitions, your marriage, your singleness, whatever it might be. But we're all carrying lots of fears and anxieties. And, and uh, so, so let me ask you as we kind of move into this message here is what are some anxieties that you're carrying today? What are some fears that are beneath the surface going on right now, really underlying in your life? Because this issue of fear is found in Genesis to Revelation. It's actually the entire Bible. And some theologians will argue that the, the foundation of all sin is fear. That we're, we're afraid to trust God, who knows it all, and we don't. And so even in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when the Lord says, you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from this one tree in the middle of the garden, and they're like, I know, but why? And God doesn't tell them why, just says, just don't do it. Just everything else, you're fine. But trust me on this thing. And, and they're worried that God's holding back at me, and the evil one comes and says, you know, God's a monster, don't trust him. And they grab, you know, but it's fear underlying. It's like, God does not have my best in mind. And so I better control the situation and, and do something which they do in sin enters the human race. And some theologians will argue that it's this fear that's found in every book of Scripture 
to cripple us from actually surrendering and trusting God. That it's, a, it's, just a, it's, it's one of the core issues of our lives that surfaces over and over and over again. And uh, in fact, all advertising, so much of it is fear, right, based coming from media and technology coming at us. So we breathe in this fear. Institu institutions give it to us. The media gives it to us. Our families give it to us. Our workplaces give it to us. The culture does. And so it's actually like in our bodies. Like if you let yourself feel it, like you can sometimes feel the anxiety. It's just because you really notice when you don't have it. You're like, oh my gosh, I feel so different. Because you're actually not carrying this kind of a, oh, this uptightness. And so do you realize the message of Advent or, or Christmas is God enters the world in the person of Jesus and basically says, do not fear. And God comes to rescue us and save us and transform us. And so what we're going to look at this text here is he actually offers us a, a radically different way of living life. He, he, he invites us to it. And so let me give you the context of uh, what we're going to do here uh, today because we're going to pick up on uh, chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah. And uh, let me give you a bit of background so you understand the, uh, what's happening. The king at this time of God's people is uh, a man named Ahaz. And uh, what's happened is he's already, these two other countries around him have invaded him and they're they, they able to ward it off. But now they formed another treaty and they're coming back to wipe out King Ahaz and the entire country. And so he is frightened to death, okay? He is full of fear and terror. In fact, it says in verse 2, but the hearts of Ahaz and his people, so the whole country, were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And I just... For me, that picture helps me because I know what it's like to feel like that. Like I'm about to fall over. Like, like I'm just, like the, the forces of life are just coming. And I'm just trying to hang on here, okay? But I feel shaken and I don't know if I'm going to make it. And so he's basically panicking. He's waiting for a disaster. And so what he does is, King Ahaz, he goes and he goes to the aqueduct, which is basically the water supply. And He's inspecting it to make sure they got enough water to handle the siege of these armies coming after him. And so we're going to pick up the story when he is actually checking out the water. He's, he's, doing, he's taking control of the situation. Because you don't have water and you've got armies around you surrounding the walls of Jerusalem, uh, you're going to have to surrender. So you've got to have a water supply. So he's making sure I got myself covered here. But he's panicking. And so Isaiah the prophet is going to show up in this text. And he is going to bring him a word from the living God. And that word from the living God is God to us today as we move into uh, the holidays. So let's read it, the text here together. Uh, chapter 7 of verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, which is the country of Israel, king resident of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So that's the first time they come, they try to take it, the country, they, they fail. But now the house of Abel was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and the people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the winds. So now they're coming back a second time. They've made another alliance. We're going to destroy and wipe these guys out. And so then the Lord, verse 3, says to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jashab, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. That's where he's taking control. Say to him, here it is, be careful, keep calm, 
Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. That is, these two other countries trying to wipe you out. And then he's going to say, if you do not stand firm in your faith, Ahaz, you will not stand at all. That's the truth, isn't it? If you don't stand firm in your faith, it'll knock you down. You won't stand. You're going to have a tough holiday. Then he's, in verse 14, he says, by the way, I'm going to give you a sign here. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. So actually, if you study the text fully, God says, I'm going I'm I'm to show up. Trust me, I'm going to take care of you in the next, you know, 50, 60 years. But in the middle of this prophecy, God says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to send the Messiah, birth of a virgin. And, and Matthew quotes this verse in chapter 1 of the opening of the New Testament. Basically, in 700 years, the Messiah is going to come. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, 700 years? I'll be dead, okay? That's a little bit late, God. But the Lord's got a, a big perspective here. But there actually is a short term. God says I'm going to take care of it. But actually, the short term for God is like a few decades away. But he says to Ahaz, trust me in this thing. And, uh, and so what we're going to look at here are these four commands. These, they're invitations, and they're here on your sheet. These four invitational commands. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to repeat it with me, because this is the word of the Lord to us, and we want to receive... We want to receive the Word of God. The Word of God has power in it. I don't know if you're aware, but, but it doesn't just inform our heads that when we receive the Word of God, it actually like releases a grace to actually do it. It releases a power to actually live into it. So uh, I'll, read, I'll read a line and you follow me, okay? We'll go back and forth, okay? Let's say it out loud. Ready? Be careful. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Again, one more time. Ready? Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Okay, let's take it one by one. Let's take it apart a little bit because each of the there is overlapping meaning, but each are slightly different as the Lord's going to speak to Ahaz, the king, and he's speaking to us as well as they're shaking. So here's the first invitation. He goes, be careful, which basically means watch yourself. You know, basically watch yourself. Don't react. Don't be unthinking. Don't go crazy here, you know, but be reflective. So Ahaz, the king, like us, he's got people around him who are advisors. They're giving him counsel. And their counsel is, hey, we're in trouble. You better make an alliance with another big country, the Assyrian Empire, because we need their military support to make sure we're going to be secure here. So he's getting all the counsel that's basically not this. Just like many of us get. He's saying, hey, listen, Ahaz, you be careful. You, you watch yourself. And, uh, and again, he assures him, listen, God's on the throne here. The Lord says, I, I got this thing. Just be careful and don't go down some wrong roads. So, you know, this past, this past month, I guess month, month and a half, I've been reading this book before I go to bed. And it's called The Beauty and the Sorrow, An Intimate History of the First World War by Peter Unglund. He's a Swedish historian. And uh, it, it takes the story of 20 people who, individuals, and the way he does the history is he takes men and women, all different ages, from all sides of the conflict in different parts of the world. So whether it's a young teenage girl in Germany during World War I, which is 1914, 1918, 
or whether it's an ambulance driver, a woman who volunteered from England and she's in Russia, or some French soldier who's 21 years old, or Australian, or someone who's fighting in Africa. I, I had no idea. World War I happened in Africa as well. They were fighting there in the Mideast and Turkey. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a very moving book. It's great. But what's so fascinating is that the historian says, I took this approach because, and he quotes the most famous historian of the early 20th century, uh, who was responding why he couldn't write a history of World War I after the war was over, like after 1918. And he said this, no one can possibly write a history of what happened in an event like a war and be sufficiently well-informed or have a proper perspective to write anything that like that. Distance, here's the key phrase, distance is the ingredient that makes understanding possible. Distance is the ingredient that makes understanding possible. What he's saying is, this historian says, I needed 100 years to step back and look at that event 100 years ago and read the journals and, and the memoirs and the letters of these 20 people and be able to get a perspective. Because but there's no way you could write that two years or five years after the war was ended. And I was like, that's it. We think things happen in our lives that are bad. And we're like, why? Matt, why? God, it's been a week. It's been two weeks. We think a year. We're like, I don't say it. Five years. Do you understand? A hundred years, this guy is saying. Barely do we understand it. Do you understand? God is, and God is working in billions. God exists outside of time. What he's saying is that there are certain things we will not understand until we see him face to face. And we're going to get to heaven and see him. We're going to look back at our lives and say, oh. 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 But the problem is, we are afraid because we want the understanding right now. And what I loved about the, when, when the first word here is be careful is don't think you possibly can understand right now what's happening around us or in the world. We get snippets and newspapers and, you know, the way they, I mean, we have no idea the largeness of the planet, what God is doing in our lives. As the Lord says, you be careful here. He is, and the Lord says, I'm the Lord God Almighty in your life. I know the end from the beginning. I've got the world in my grip. I'm working on a plan. I love you. i got the hairs on your head number. You're more valuable than any sparrow. And now you can bet, rest assured, I am watching over you. And so you trust me in this thing. And basically, you be careful. Before you take control of the situation, you start making plans and pronouncements about what's going on. Because the truth is, you have no idea. But you can trust me in this. So just think with me for a minute about, you're going into Christmas, I mean, holidays. And if you're like most, there's certain expectations that are on you that are intense from your family, from your neighbors maybe, from the workplace. And, but just imagine stepping back and saying, I'm going to be careful this year. Okay, Lord, what would, how would you have me orchestrate or plan out my next three weeks? I mean, what, what really should be on my to-do list? How do I really want to celebrate, Lord Jesus, uh, your coming with my family? What kind, of, what kind of tradition maybe do I want to set up for dinner on Christmas or Christmas Eve? You know, how, what boundaries do I want to set up? What, what do I want to start saying no to? What do I want to not participate in? And what do I want to initiate to say, I'd like to do this? What's really on my heart? What would give me life? In other words, be careful. Invite Jesus in, who's come and who's coming, and say, how would you like me, Lord, to go forward here? these next few weeks. Well, you've got to carve out some space to even make that happen. So that's the first word. He goes, you, you be careful. You know, we say, Lord, help me. And King Ahaz, that was a first word to him. And then he says to him, 
Secondly, it goes, keep calm. Keep calm. Oh, my gosh. Keep calm. And basically, which means in Hebrew, be quiet over your emotions. Now, if you're like me, do you ever get triggered? Like someone touches a hot button, and, uh, you know? Uh, you have that? And you? Now, there's levels here of triggers, right? And, uh, but basically, this word, be quiet, is, is, is he's, saying, he's basically saying, re, you know, relax, you know, and act res- responsibly. So, again, there, there's levels of triggers, and we'll call them. So, it can, sometimes it's just a tone of voice, right? You're on the subway, and you bump somebody, and accidentally, and they say, hey, man, what are you doing? You're like, hey, man, what are you doing? You know? And we just, you know, we're triggered. Right? We, just, we just lash out. Just, just the tone's enough to get us going. That's one level, you know, or, or you know, you, you read, as I did, you know, you read the front page of a newspaper, you know, guns are flooding New York, you know, and you're like, <gasps> you know, and it just, it just, that, that, that can just feel it in your body. You know, you can get triggered. Uh, or someone says to you, you know, you make a, you know, someone makes a, you make a remark, and someone says, I think that's a stupid thought. You're like, you think it's a stupid thought, you know, and trigger. Then you got the big ones, like you're going to be with your family, uh, your family of origin for three days. They say if you can be with your family of origin, which you grew up in, for three days and not revert to being nine years old, <laughs> you are mature and you are growing uh, in your ability to be calm and, you know, and not be reactive. It's one of the great, great tests. And, uh, and so this keep calm, it's, it's, it's no small thing. In fact, it, uh, on different scales, it, we can see it. So uh, probably about four or five months ago, I'd heard about this group in, in the history of France. In the, fifth, in the mid-1500s, there was a move of God called the Reformation in Europe uh, that has spread to the world. But in France in particular, there was a move of God, in, and they labeled these people the Huguenots, okay? Huguenots. And... People were coming to Christ in large numbers, actually by the thousands. Uh, and they were meeting in fields, they were meeting in barns, they were meeting in homes, they were meeting secretly, but uh, they were being persecuted. Now understand, at that time, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was quite corrupt and all mixed in politically. So anything that went against that, there was going to be some severe repercussions and persecution. So what happened was some of these new believers um, were, were being hunted down. Some were burned at a stake, uh, but they were suffering. However, the thing was growing quite, uh, quite quickly. And so what happened was, as this pressure of persecution came, and people were actually paying a significant price, uh, a few leaders decided, you know what? we got to arm ourselves here. we, we got to get some guys here with, with guns and you know, swords because we're getting killed. And so they kind of forgot the, the words of Jesus that said, love your enemies you know, and pray for those who persecute you. They kind of said, that's not really working for us right now. And so we're going to, like, just get some security around us. Well, one thing led to another until a full-scale civil war broke out that lasted years. Um, And here's what the leading historian said about what happened in France at that time. He says, if it wasn't for that war, he writes, France today, 500 years later, would be Huguenot, which means by that it would be filled with you know, believers out of that move of God. He goes, because people were rapidly coming to faith and pastors and ministers were held with much respect. But when they passed from words to weapons and began to rob, destroy, and kill, the people began to say, 
what kind of religion is this? And it was over. Interesting, misdirected religious zeal. And uh, imagine, France would be maybe a different country today 500 years later. But do you understand, the consequences of the, the actions we take have repercussions, long, long range. Parker Palmer wrote a great book about democracy and why is it that we're so, so often we can't have a conversation with people who differ from us politically. And he says, underneath it is fear. And so what it comes out as is judgmentalism. How many of you in this room make quick judgments? Maybe the person next to you, you know, you tend to be just judgmental. You got, you got opinions about everything. This person, that person, you're like, I got it. He goes, underneath that is fear. Versus the ability to actually listen to someone and say, tell me more, even though the opinion is totally antithetical to what you think. But you say, well, tell me, help me understand, like, how did you come to that conclusion? And just to be able to listen without being reactive, just to be calm. He goes, that requires a calmness. And I never, I realized, I never quite connected judgmentalism and fear. So next time you're judging somebody and find yourself just so angry at this person, you just want to rip them to shreds, you're murdering them. You didn't pick up a sword, but you're murdering them with the gun of your tongue. You're cutting them to shreds. Ask yourself, what am I afraid of here? What's really my anxiety underneath that I've got to fix this person and straighten them out right now? What's that about? So the Lord says, be careful. You know, keep calm. You know, Ed Friedman was a guy I studied in school. He's a great, uh, he was a great writer and thinker around what's called family systems. He would study churches, synagogues, family systems over generations, and actually societies. And his basic argument was this, was that anxiety runs in families and cultures and societies and actually institutions. And he says, and it, it causes a cycle of people being, being reactive. And he, go, he compared it to being bombarded by, like, magnetic gravitational pull that pulls you into anxiety. And, oh, 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 and it kind of, it just sucks everybody. You ever been with someone who's really anxious? You, you talk to them and you feel anxious? You don't even know why you're anxious? It's like they pulled you into something? You were so nice and calm before you saw them, you know? And, and, uh, and so he says we go from crisis to crisis to crisis. And he goes, the problem is not external, it's actually internal. And he says the key is to challenge is to be able to separate yourself. And, and really, it's this, if I can apply it here biblically, it's this text here. It's the word of the Lord saying, be careful. And then he says, keep calm. And get a hold of what's important, which in our case is God, who sits on the throne, okay? And uh, so, so let's repeat it together. Ready? Be careful. Be careful. Number two is keep calm. Keep calm. Right? Now, you're going you're gonna to land on one of these, I trust, which is God for you today. Now, the third is, he said, the Lord says, be careful, keep calm. And then he says, don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid. Now, again, we're back to perspective. The challenge of other gods or threats out there that can do you in, or other gods that seem so powerful, whether it's money or power or control, Things that would just pull you away from the living God. He says, listen, they're all gonna, they're all just, they're all gonna pass away. And he goes, do not be afraid of anything. It's a tremendous verse. Don't be afraid. Take a deep breath. So he says, oh, don't be afraid. Like, wow. 
Now, Jesus said to us that the way he works is always like a mustard seed. In other words, it seems so small, a little mustard seed. And Jesus says, but a mustard seed has power and life to it, and it, and it grows. And so he goes, it seems like it's almost invisible growing, but don't be deceived and think nothing's happening. A lot's happening. And that these mustard seeds are going to grow until a day's going to come. It's going to be a full tree, and it's going to fill the whole earth. So, so like, think with me for a minute. Think of all the great philosophies through history. Plato, Aristotle, like existentialism, think of all the great ideas and philosophies. Think of all the great empires in the world, the Assyrian, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks, you know. You can go on, the British, the Byzantine Empire, whatever. But you realize, all, they've all... But compare that to what's happened to little Jesus and the 12 disciples. And today, the, the idea that won the day is the person of Jesus. I mean, all over the world, there are churches. Think about this for a minute. There are, there, are, there are tens of millions of people who love Jesus and live by his words scattered all over the earth in all the countries. And the day will come when the glory of Jesus will fill the whole earth. That little mustard seed is going to take the whole thing over. So he says, you don't be afraid. The Lord says, I'm building something you can't even see. And it's slow. Don't be deceived how slow. It may not be in the front page of the Daily News or the New York Post or the New York Times. You may feel like nothing's happening. A lot's happening. Trust me in this thing. You stay with me in this thing because I'm telling you that mustard seed is going to fill the earth. But you stay with me in this thing and don't get uh, distracted. And then he goes on and he, he closes with this. He says, don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. Can you repeat that with me? Do not lose heart. Basically, it means literally in Hebrew, keep, don't let your heart grow weak. So you, you, ever, you ever like you're hanging in there, you're hanging in there, and then you just, you're kind of like wearing down. You're like, I was good last Tuesday, but I just I don't have anything left. Pete, it's Sunday now, you know? Or it's been months, or it's been years. And you're like, I'm just, I'm just going down. Like, I just, I'm losing heart. I'm I'm losing hope. And, and, and the invitation here is stay. Now, now come, come to Jesus. Let him give you the power to stay. But the whole call of a Christian life is you stay when everything in you wants to quit. Now, I don't know what, how you define faith, but I want to give you a definition here. And it's this. Faith is holding on to Jesus for dear life like a drowning person to a life raft. I want you to think about that for a second. I don't know how you define faith. I don't like that definition. I don't like the idea of being so desperate, I'm hanging for dear life on Jesus like a life raft. Do you, do you, do you want to live like that? I don't, I'm not going to. No, I want to be in the raft. Okay, I want to have a motor and a sailboat, and I want to be close to land. Like, that's, that's desperate. Do you realize that is what the Christian life is? That, that's it. That we are that dependent every moment, of every day, in good times and in bad times, that, that we see ourselves as, we're like Peter on water. Remember that story of Peter on the boat? We're like, without Jesus, we're sinking. Like, the, thing, the ship is going down. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm that broken and dependent. I'm just, I'm holding on to Jesus for dear life. And if I let go, I am sinking. And I'm trusting he's good, even when he doesn't seem to be. You ever, you ever wonder, like, are you good? Because it, it doesn't feel good to me right now. And 
and I'm not even sure you're good, but I'm going to hang in. Even though I'm not even sure you're good, I'm still here. Friends, this is how, this is how robust faith is formed. This is how we know Jesus. This is how we meet, we meet Jesus in these times when our hearts are going down. We're losing heart. And we hang in there, and he strengthens our heart, and we, we find ourselves transformed and changed. So, so let me give an example. I had a friend, a friend, person last week who lost her job after decades in this particular job. And she got a bad, first time ever, a bad job evaluation and was let go. And, uh, you know, they're giving her a few more months, but devastated, okay? Life work, devastated, you know, corporation, bottom line, all that stuff. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But treated basically like, you're out. And uh, she was grieving, absolutely. I mean, she wept, she told me the story. Uh, and, but, but she was, she was standing. She was actually, I, I mean, she was... It was so beautiful is she was, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. She actually was in all four of these in her grief. And we talked about how this is an ending, a hard ending, but that God has got a new beginning for her. She says, I have no idea what it is. This grief and loss may take a couple of years. I recommend it. She'd probably see somebody in the process. It's going to be a pretty rocky road. But, but a God has new beginnings to her. She was, the way she was even approaching her bosses and the one who let her go and was so beautiful. She wrote a letter about how she could possibly do succession and how she could take her decades of work and hand it over to the next person. And they weren't even interested. They just blew her off. They said, no, we're not going to pay anybody else. Just give us the keys on this date. We'll figure it out from then. You know, it's kind of nasty. You know, she was, she was like, okay. You know, and, and she, was she was doing Advent because you know what? Jesus has come. Jesus is coming, and she, she let Jesus in now. Like she was, she, let, she was letting Jesus in her sadness now. And it was really quite beautiful uh, to behold. And I left that conversation like, wow. Like, like she sees the glimmers of God on a throne over her life, and she's just staying with Jesus and keeping herself calm. It was actually quite, quite beautiful. I was with someone on the way, at a second, someone walking out for a service, and they were talking about their workplace, which is, sounds like an anxiety institution, okay? And, you know, the boss just filled with anxiety, and he just fills the whole place with it. And he goes, to work there is so challenging because I just take it on. I'm so afraid of making a mistake or failing, and I'm like always under the gun. And he says, but, and it, we, you know, we talked about this card. He goes, I want to put this card like, right on my desk. He goes, but when I, when I, in the middle of the day, when I take a breath, you know, and when I re re remember Jesus and invite him in, he goes, it changes my whole day. You know, I do the best I can with my loaves and fishes. I offer it. But I, I just, I don't take on, I, I put a shield up. And be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. I just, I, when I, I can just do this multiple times a day just carve out space, because I'm really okay. If I don't, I get bombarded, infected, and overwhelmed. That was a great, great story. Uh, a doctor uh, writes a story about how when he, when he used to, when he, when he was in early years of being a doctor, tremendous pressure, some of you are doctors here, especially when you're a resident, you're working 80, 90 hour weeks. And so you're seeing a patient, you got, you know, got six, seven minutes, and he goes, I basically would walk in exhausted, uh, I guess got a few minutes, and I just order a battery of tests. Just test them for like 25 things, and what's come back, we'll know what's wrong with them. 
And he goes, but when I am centered, rested, and I actually approach a patient and I actually am like listening, like, and following, like in a sense, my intuition and what I know and I watch, he goes, so often it becomes somewhat obvious. I may order one test, but it's an entirely different experience when I don't rush and I don't let the pressure of the entire profession or institution push me down a road that I don't want to be about. And when I go down it, I feel like death. I'll give you an example. For me, this past week, um, I went to see a, uh, I have a spiritual director. A spiritual director is someone who just, you, you meet with and uh, an elderly woman and helps you discern what is God saying to you inside. And uh, so you go there and they, they ask you some questions. So what was so interesting, I go there and I start sharing about uh, uh, some anger I had about a situation and ruminating and sadness and the past week had been stressful. And I had all these ideas because I'm trying to figure it out, you know. And understand, so I, I, I know myself, all right, I, in terms of what I come from a family growing up, which is deep in my bones, where things were chaotic and out of control. And so I like control. I don't know how many of you like control? Like, you want me to be on a life raft, hanging off a dear life? I don't think so. I'll, it, I'll just get in the boat and we'll take it from there. You know what I mean? I'm like, this. so, so when, I, when I, I find myself frustrated by situation, I'm like, I'm going to fix it. So I'm thinking for hours about how to fix it and solve it. All right? And she says to me, did you invite Jesus in? I said, I'm sure he's somewhere in this thing. You know? She said, no, I mean, did you actually invite Jesus into their sadness or confusion or frustration and say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? And I said, no. She says, well, I'm talking. She says, why don't you just be quiet, Pete? Why don't you just be quiet and let's be silent before the Lord and invite Jesus into your sadness, your confusion in the situation and ask him if he wants to say anything to you. And so, you know, so I oh, all right, so sorry. So I said, you know, help me, Lord, you know, help me. I know what to pray, help me, you know. And then you know, it was like a shot, you know. And, and, and the Lord says, you know, uh, I'm going to help you. And I, the picture of the story of Peter uh, on, walking on water where he starts to sink. And then he, he, straight, and he says, Lord, I'm sinking. And he stretches out his hand and Jesus grabs his hand and helps him. That was exactly the picture I had. And the Lord says, I'll help you. And, and I said, nah, I just came out of my mouth, you know. I didn't say it verbally, but it came right to me. I said, nah, you can't. You don't know how deep this is. I mean, I don't think this is really helpable because it's so deep in my bones going back to my entire childhood. And like, I'm, I'm, it's too deep. And I, I caught myself. And I actually told this woman, she goes, that's deep. I said, it is deep, it is deep. But I, I got it. I said, oh my gosh. Like how, I, I, and I was meditating on these, I was meditating on this. That's the irony of it. For like the last few weeks. I'm, and, but yet I wasn't inviting Jesus into that anxiety and fear. You got it? You can have it, but like, Jesus, you've come and you're coming. Got it. But no, Advent is letting Jesus in to the actual fear, into the anxiety, into the confusion. Say, Jesus, I'm inviting you to come in here and to hear that word. And I'll tell you, it was like, it was like something just lifted off me. I was like, yeah. It was also obvious to me. Oh, gosh, you know. To, you know, it's been said that if you want to translate what it means to pray, because Jesus was always stepping away to pray. 
get alone to pray. It says, one translation they say is, to pray is basically to come to rest. To come to a place of rest. And so, I want you to say with me together. Ready, everybody? The Lord's word to us is, one, be careful. Right, together? Be careful. Two, keep calm. Three, don't be afraid. And four, do not lose heart. Listen, you can live like this, and so can I, shaken by the wind. There's enough external stuff going on and internal stuff in your history that you'll just live shaken. And you know what? It's not going to end until you're on your deathbed, and even then you're going to be shaking. But Jesus offers us another way, an advent to live. And it really is this. It's receiving the word of the Lord Jesus who loves you so much, who's pursuing you and pursuing me, but he's not going to force himself down your throat. But he just says, just let me in. Just let me in. And hear my word for you, and uh, an advent will visit you, because he wants to birth something new. So I want to invite the worship team to come on forward here, but let's leave this up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple of moments before the Lord in, in silence. And I want to invite you to invite Jesus in. Now, it's been said that one de definition of sin is a refusal to listen, being self-absorbed, uh, but you know, God invites us. He's just inviting us this morning to let's get rid of the illusion that we are in control of anything. And so we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to say it out loud uh, together. And we want to sit in his love for a moment. You know, perfect love drives out fear. It's the love of God as we receive it begins to dissipate or, you know, swallow up the fear and anxieties and panics. Now, you may be in a storm that you created, or you may be in a storm that Jesus has sent you in. You may not be sure how you got here, but you're in it. I got good news. It doesn't matter how you got there. But if you'll let Jesus in and open your hands up to Jesus, he will lead you in and through that storm. So let's take a moment together and, and relax in God's presence. So I want you to just re repeat for me again. Let's repeat together, all right? That these invitational commands of the Lord through Isaiah to us today, to you. He says, be careful. Let's say it together. Be careful. Keep calm. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. So which of, that, which of these four speak to you the most today? Now take a moment to invite Jesus into whatever that particular situation is. And ask him if he wants to say anything to you. And we want to kind of we want to rest in the center. We want to practice doing it right now. Because God's got a purpose for you to be here. So I invite you to close your eyes and we just open your hands up towards heaven. And here are these gifts coming from the mouth of Jesus for you. He says, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. And just receive the Holy Spirit's power 
that can actually enable those things to happen inside of you. Regardless of what you're facing today. You want to open yourself up to the presence of Jesus. His power. Now, the Word of God is powerful. It's powerful. So when Jesus would say to a a crippled man, get up. And you say, well, he can't get up. He's crippled. But his very command would enable him to get up. Because there's there's grace and power in his Word. So I'm going to invite you all to stand with me for just a moment. So these words of God have power. And I'm going to say it over you. And I want to just invite you to receive the enabling power to God. Just say, be careful. Lord, I'm not careful. I'm I'm impulsive. I fly off the handle. But just receive the word of Jesus. Be careful. And let his power and his grace come into you. He says, keep calm. You say, Lord, it's not a calm bone in my body. I'm anxious. Keep calm. Don't, you feel, I'm full of fears, Lord. I'm just, I'm panically. I'm just, I just want to do something, anything to get rid of the pain. The Lord says, don't be afraid. And then finally, you say, Lord, I'm so discouraged. I just want to quit. Don't lose heart. Okay, then we're going to go into a song we're going to sing about. He makes all things new. So Christmas is about that. God has come. He makes all things new. So just, again, palms up towards heaven for a moment and just receive the word of the Lord coming to you personally right now. The Lord says, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. For I am the Lord who makes all things new. Let's sing together.
Amen. Let me invite the prayer teams to come forward to your left as well as those who are going to serve communion. We're going to close, and I want to give you a chance to respond, you know, to respond to this invitation of basically letting go of controlling uh, everything around you and doing simply what God's asked you to do in your peace, but responding to his word for you and moving through this week, this month, tomorrow, being careful, keeping calm, not being afraid, not losing heart, just inviting Jesus in. Now, you may be so weak here today as I can. I'm just, I'm in bad shape, Pete. Well, if you came with some friends, like, remember the paralytic was brought to Jesus? He couldn't, he couldn't even walk. So if you've got some friends and you know you're, you're just so down right now, you've lost so much heart, let someone carry you to the altar. And we're going to pray for you. That's what, that's what the body of Christ is all about. Let us, let us hold you, all right? And let us have the faith to pray for you when you don't have any for yourself. And uh, you come, all right? And, and God's going to meet you here. But uh, uh, the Lord's got a gift for you today. And I, I hope you can carry this with you to work, put on your refrigerator, and remind yourself and stop yourself throughout the next couple of weeks. And uh, pray these words for yourself, asking God for power. But he's got something new for you and for me. But it's a radical way of living. And it's a gift if we can receive his power and enter into it by his grace. So open your hands up like this throughout heaven. And the altar teams will be here in the Lord's table. And come for prayer. But if you sense you've had Jesus shut out of your heart, we want to invite you to come up. First time, 20th time, but you want to open up your heart for Jesus to flood in and fill you, empower you. So may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you, and may the Lord make his face shine on you. May his love flood you now. May his power fill you. May he broaden your the, the, the container of your soul, may he enlarge it, that you might be able to receive more of God inside of you. And may his peace, his calmness, his hope, his encouragement fill you now. And may you find yourself just filled with a life from heaven itself. And as you leave this place, may the grace and peace of Jesus rest upon you. And may the Holy Spirit's power anoint you to be the woman, to be the man he's called you to be. And be a gift to everyone you touch as you leave this place, I pray. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. Altar is open.